Hi, I'm Hannah. I'm Taffer. Welcome to Yeah, a show where we talk about young adult lit and what it can teach us at any age. This is our book club, and you're invited. Yeah! Yeah! This week we're continuing our November theme. Um, Our November theme is a little more complex than our previous themes have been, but we're looking through the lens of Remembrance Day and we're we're thinking about uh, teaching kids about war, about living in a post-colonial world, and uh, just kind of the the global implications (laughs) of our current world, more or less. I haven't figured Mm. out a succinct way to, to sum up our theme yet. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's a there. There isn't a succinct way to think yeah, about it. I yeah. think we're, we're we're broadly sort of thinking about like war and conflict and violence and um, the impacts of it that we don't talk about as much or yeah. that we like to gloss over, um, and especially thinking about um, like the ways in which we are on the wrong side of history. Yeah. So this week uh, we are talking about a book which I believe should be in school curriculums all over North America, required reading, maybe like the 10th grade level. Uh, it is The Marrow Thieves by Cherie Demoline. Um, this it won the uh, 2018 selection for Canada Reads. It's won the Kirkus Prize. It's uh, won the Amy Mathers Teen Book Award. It's won the um, Code Burt Award for First Nations, Inuit, and Métis Young Adult Literature. Uh, it is a, a, a spectacular book that is really rightfully making waves um, and that everyone should be reading. Uh, Cherie Demeline is a Canadian Métis author. We got to uh, meet her at YaFest this year at Montreal YaFest. I had the great honor of moderating a panel she was on. She blew my mind. <laughs> um, uh, she's just really, um, really spectacular thinker, exceptional writer, such a good writer. And she has a new book out also that is not YA, so we're not covering it, but I'm really excited about it. It is um, based on the Métis folktale of the Rougarou, the, or Lougarou, and I can't wait to read it. It is called Empire of Wild. Um, so, Marrow Thieves, I, I just said it won a bunch of 2018 prizes. It is. It was out in 2017. Um, now, <clears throat> the thing that Cherie Demeline said that, like, just completely changed the way I look at things at YaFest uh, is it was not hard for her to write a dystopian book because she is from people who survived the apocalypse. And thinking about the colonial invasion of North and South America by Europeans as uh, apocalypse really, really, really affected my worldview. (laughs) And because it's completely accurate, because apocalypse is an event that ends the world as we know it. And post-apocalyptic books are books which examine what happens when all the structures we know are uprooted. And that is precisely what happened in North America with the advent of European invaders, European diseases, European religion, and all the other destructive forces that came from across the ocean. 
The Marrow Thieves by Cherie Demoline is a uh, work of speculative fiction. It is set in the near future. Mm-hmm. Uh, I believe it's it's sort of it's a generation born in like the 2040s, more or less. Or no, it's their children. Yeah, yeah. So I was I was sort of trying to place. I I was imagining it being like around like 2100 I think it's around yeah I think um, it's around 2100 like something like that yeah more or less so about a oh that's not even 100 years in the future now I still think it's 2009 it's about <laughs> 80 years in the future um and you know we affect the environment over and there's been mass extinction of of humans all over the world um and as part of that process people lost their ability to dream and began to um, go insane because dreams are a very important way that our bodies process things. Indigenous people did not lose the ability to dream. <clears throat> and it is discovered that the ability to dream is stored in the bone marrow. And Canada resurrects the residential schools and begins to quote unquote harvest First Nations people for their bone marrow in order to give white people the ability to dream except it it kind of seems like it doesn't necessarily work it's more that they like think they can do it sorry i'm just like talking 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 do you need to yeah. add anything at this point <laughs> no no i was just gonna add on that yeah it's unclear in the book and i think it's kind of because this is not really like like it's unclear in the book whether or not yeah they have figured out how to do this or they're still trying to and i think that's because it's like that's not really the point it's not relevant yeah um, it's yeah. not relevant yeah, yeah. um there is absolutely a sense of just absolute wastefulness. And obviously, killing any person is a waste, um, for the most part. Um, I'm in, in Canada here, we tend to have a pretty good idea of what the residential school system is, but a lot of our listeners come from outside of Canada. Uh, so I'm going to give a brief kind of historical rundown of um, how Canada is every bit as racist as the U.S., despite what we like to claim on the global scale. Mm-hmm. Um, the residential school system uh, was put into effect almost immediately. I mean, really almost as soon as, as any... European colonizers were here, but when we talk about residential schools, we are usually talking about the system that was put into place formally in 1880, when Canada was sort of its own government at that point. Um, Residential school obviously just means boarding school. (laughs) It's a very sanitized term for uh, instruments of genocide put into place by the Canadian government in Conjunction, conjunction with? with, thank you, sorry, um, like, in conjunction with the churches, yeah. um, especially the Anglican Church, but mm-hmm. also the Catholic but Church and also the United, the United Church. Church was also involved, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So basically, all of the churches. Mm-hmm. The idea was that by taking Indigenous children away from their families uh, and cutting their hair and um, refusing to let them use their mother tongues. That's a, a big one, and that's something that comes up with great significance in the book. Yeah. And, um, and practice the religion. And practice, yes. You could raise them to be good little Christian children who would forget uh, their indigenous ways and, you know, be be able to be citizens of Canada because obviously they couldn't be good citizens if they were, um, you know, with their families. Um, one of the really appalling, there were so many appalling aspects and the estimate which is a conservative estimate is that at least 6,000 children died uh, in these schools 
again, that's a conservative estimate. There were not good records kept. Um, there were children lost. There were uh, murders covered up. There was a lot of sexual abuse covered up, a lot of every kind of abuse covered up. There was the idea that you could beat the Indian out of the boy. They tried very hard. Um, one of the really, really, really tragic uh, stories in this, all of the stories in in the history of how Canada has treated its indigenous people is horrible. Um, but with Inuit children especially, there was this whole thing that happened, I believe it was in the 1940s or 50s, so quite recently, where it may have been a little earlier than that, where uh, Inuit children were taken away from their families to be sent to the schools. They were given numbers because their names were too hard to keep track of, but nobody ever documented which na name corresponded with which number or which family corresponded with which child. And so when the families showed up to meet their children, um, the school system could not find their children. And many of those children were adopted by white families and raised, uh, you know, in that culture with absolutely no knowledge of their heritage. The peak of the residential schools was in the 1930s, uh, but the last one closed in 1996. And um, there has been really just uh, really disappointingly little response from the government um, mm -hmm. and really very little accountability taken. Yeah. Um, not just by the government, honestly, by the churches as well. Like churches have tried, but it's still it's still a very, very small response to a very big evil. So that's the history of the residential schools. And now maybe I can make a synopsis of the book. Yeah. Can I, <laughs> yeah. Can I add just like a couple yeah, points to absolutely. what you said? Um, so you you like um, sort of hinted at this, but I think it's really important as we're talking about this as genocide um like a, a very like official slogan in the government about the schools was kill the indian and the child yeah. um like that was like explicitly the goal of this system um and then i think also in sort of thinking about this book and in thinking about the legacy of residential schools is to also know that even once the schools closed these kinds of things still are perpetuating like there's um and i don't i don't know a huge amount about this history but there's also a huge history in canada of kind of post-residential schools of indigenous children being taken from their families and adopted adopted into white families and so th this kind of violence is ongoing mm -hmm. um and then I also wanted to make one just like little kind of correction to language because yeah. this is something that we as like white Canadians fall into is talking about like Canada's indigenous people. Um, but like Canada does not own it's in the indigenous. See, I almost did it there. Yeah. The indigenous people who live here. Like yeah. that's really important in our language to clarify that and and catch ourselves when we when we talk about it that way. Thank you for correcting that. When I said it, I heard it. And then I was like, am I going to go back and correct that? And I'm very glad you did. <laughs> um, thank you very much. You're Appreciate welcome. it a lot. So in many ways, The Marrow Thieves is is barely speculative. So I've, I set the scene for it. It's, you know, after a cataclysmic event, uh, um, Indigenous people are being hunted to have their bone marrow harvested to maybe give non-Indigenous people the ability to dream. 
Uh, the book follows Frenchie, who is a teenage uh, indigenous boy, um, Anishinaabe, I think. I think so. Yeah. And uh, he is living on the road. No, he, no, he's Métis. Um, that's why he's yeah. called Frenchie. Okay. Yeah, that's okay. why he's called Frenchie. His name is Francis. Yeah. But part of why his nickname is French is because he's Métis. Okay. Yeah. Um, so there are Anishinaabe Cree. Like, I mean, yeah. it's really it's really cool because there's mm-hmm. actually a representation of all the different um, tribes. So Frenchie is Métis. <laughs> mm-hmm. And uh, he loses his family very early in the book. Uh, his brother... He and his brother are on the run, so we kind of lose. You kind of see him lose his family member by member, and then he joins a group of chosen family, who mm-hmm. are uh, pilgriming north to try and find something. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just a search for somewhere where they can be safe and be secure, and you get little pockets of safety and security along the way. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, of course, a meta narrative of of what's going on with the schools. Uh, quote-unquote schools but they're called schools in the book Mm -hmm. and a narrative of the key for um dismantling the system Mm -hmm. and and becoming free of it stories are a really big part storytelling Mm -hmm. is a very big part of the book there are a lot of smaller enclosed narratives people Mm -hmm. telling their stories there's a lot of power in sharing stories in it Mm -hmm. there are love stories in it mm-hmm. there's there it's it's difficult to synopsize the plot i find because there is yeah. so much in it and and i think that's okay i was actually i was thinking about this as i was thinking about this episode and i i think that we should like i'm fine with not synopsizing the plot super like closely and i also um i mean there's a bit at the end that's just so beautiful and maybe we'll talk about it but I think we should spoiler warning it first because I would like to spoil this book less than we usually do because I like I mean generally we like like the books that we do on this podcast and we think you should read them but like you should read this book yeah like yeah this book should be mandatory reading for everyone who lives in Canada um and the U.S. honestly, and the US. but like especially um, Canada. Uh, this is the same approach Caddy and I took to Slay, where we're okay. going to talk about themes in the book, but we're not necessarily going to spoil the book. I think. Yeah, I agree with you because <laughs> it is. I mean, it's an important. It, it's a gorgeous book, um, and it is. It is an important book. Like this is a book that if you are like a white colonizer living in North America, is going to make you real uncomfortable, and that's important. It is real sad. Yeah. I we know this. I have a lot of trouble with sad books. Yeah. I don't like reading books that make me sad and uncomfortable. Neither I had I. trouble with this one. I had to kind of take little breaks. Mm-hmm. Um but it's really important to mm-hmm. to make it through all of that sadness because mm-hmm. the message of this is so important. Um I especially have trouble with bad things happening to children. Mm-hmm. Lots of bad things happen to children, but that is because lots of bad things are still happening to children in mm-hmm. Canada because they are indigenous. And lots of children are still getting separated from their families because they are indigenous. And it is, mm-hmm. I think, really important to exercise that empathy. Yeah. And like when we face that discomfort, instead of going, oh, this hurts and I don't like it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Take it on and embrace it and say, this is going to open up my heart and make mm-hmm. me better. Yeah. 
And um, yeah, I really like like forcing us to face that that pain and forcing us to also like I think Canada like as a state really pushes a narrative of um well I think that you were saying you were going to want to talk about reconciliation but Canada pushes a narrative of wanting to um like think about all the harm that has been done to indigenous people as something that has been um like Canada really has this narrative of wanting to think of this as past tense and I think one of the things that is so important about this book is it 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 forces you to think about it in a future tense which makes you also think about how it is very much a present tense thing yeah um and I think that's very important for people to confront one of the things that is said is that collective memory is about 70 years long and people have been pointing that out with um, the Holocaust and with us revamping Nazis now and being mm-hmm. like, yeah, let's have Nazis again. Yeah. Um, and I, I appreciate that she put this pretty much 80 years in the future because it's like right now everybody's like, oh, bad residential schools, close them down. Maybe we'll think about reparations, except not actually. We're just going to say reparations a lot mm-hmm. as though that means anything. And then... 80 years later, it's, you know what, though? <laughs> we need something they have again. So we're just yeah. gonna... Because that's the other thing that I think is just genius mm-hmm. about this book, is that it's, once again, it's like, okay, right now, currently, 2019, mm-hmm. it's like, okay, I think we got everything we need from the indigenous people. We're, like, everything we want, I should say. <laughs> we're still gonna, like, take their... Um, they're sacred herbs because they make us feel good when we say we're smudging when we don't understand the practice at all Um, and we're still gonna like we're still gonna like like appropriate elements of their culture but like we don't actually need furs from them anymore and we don't actually need them to show us which plants are gonna kill us so you know and we don't actually like need the land they're on because we put them on all the shitty land we don't want so we're gonna now we're gonna be nice to them for a little while Mm -hmm. and then i think it's so realistic to be like oh you know what they have something we want now so yeah all of that is off and Mm -hmm. we're gonna go back to killing people a lot yeah i mean that is the (laughs) that is the reason why this book is so horrifying is that like i read this book and i'm like with how canada currently treats indigenous peoples like I could totally see this happening, which is yep. horrifying and terrible. And like that's that's why this book is so powerful is because it's deeply realistic, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Um, absolutely. I think I think this would happen. I think if we discovered that like indigenous people's blood had the cure for cancer, this would happen immediately. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean it's hard to talk about this because I'm just so angry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Um I remember uh, uh, I had a social worker visit my house a little while after I separated from my ex because sometimes that happens because whatever. And um, I was talking to a friend who worked in the shelter system and she was like, don't even worry, you're white. This is going to get closed immediately. If you were not white, I would be giving you like a lot more instructions right now. (sighs) Yeah. So... (laughs) Yeah. So the other element of this, mm-hmm. there's a point in the book, uh, about halfway through, I think, where 
um, there's a character, one of the secondary characters in the book, uh, uh, Clarence, who shows in about halfway through. He says they're they're talking about um, going back to their land, like the land they came from that's mm-hmm. been polluted and damaged. And Frenchie kind of says, why would you go back there? It's mm-hmm. like it's, it's gone to shit now. And Clarence says, because when we heal the land, we are healed also. Mm-hmm. That's on page 193 of the paperback. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other element of this book, which is also very, very relevant and current, is that the the land is fucked because of a cataclysmic ecological event, because mm-hmm. of um, unsafe capitalistic practices. Yeah, part of the drive. Part of the drive is finding the key to protect the people, and part mm-hmm. of the drive is finding the way to protect the land and heal the land. And yeah. that's another really significant one, and that ties in. The, to this just this massive hypocrisy that I see in Canada that has been really bugging me ever since the environment march we had in September in Montreal, <laughs> which Justin Trudeau marched in. Uh-huh. And Justin Trudeau is also currently forcing through a pipeline across Canada, despite the protestations of all of the indigenous people living along that belt, uh, because pipelines are very, very ecologically risky, and there's the Keystone Pipeline that is already leaking, mm-hmm. despite everybody being like, it won't leak, this is stupid. Yeah. Um, and Justin Trudeau is marching in this march with Greta Thunberg, being like, Thunberg? I think it's Thunberg. Thunberg. Yeah. I've only seen it written, and sometimes I put an R in it that's not there. I, I did for a long time also. So. Cool. And, <laughs> and then, you know, going home and being like, yep, yeah, pipeline, because I don't want to piss off Alberta. And... Uh, you know, one of the ways I think we talk a lot about like, oh, we'd love to give indigenous people more say and more power and make reparations. But whoa, 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 how do we do that? You know, a really good, damn good way to do that is to say that indigenous people get veto power over yeah. massively dangerous endeavors on their land. Like, that's the easiest thing. That's the easiest thing is just like, mm-hmm. maybe we should maybe possibly listen to these people. Yeah. But then as soon as it's, no, we're not going to let you come on our land, it's, well, got to get the tanks, because it's way more important to protect big oil. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's like, I was just struck by like what you were saying. It's like, yeah, like Canada will say, like, yeah, we want to, you know, honor Indigenous people and respect them and make reparations, until doing that will cost, like, the white settler state anything. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, well, and Canada will say we want to be green leaders and we want to be protecting the land and we want to be super ecological and aren't we so great again until being green and being ecological um, looks like something that will cost the settler state anything mm-hmm. again or something that hmm, might cost Justin Trudeau his prime ministership right yeah. like you know, he can't go against the pipeline because the conservatives will, will get pissed off and he'll lose swing voters. And it's just like, it's it's infuriating. You know, another really great way to <laughs> change things, because that, that, I, that I think is what makes me the angriest, is that it's, we want to find a way to calm these people down without changing anything about the way this country is structured. Mm-hmm. This nation, I should say, is structured. Yeah. Because it's really important to us that this nation preserve its power. Mm -hmm. And so 
you know, is there a way that we can maybe like say some thoughts and prayers and then you guys will calm down and then you won't be mad at us anymore. And then we can maybe like wear headdresses to festivals again and we can all be friends. Yeah. And it's just bullshit because it is nothing because it does nothing Mm -hmm. because in that system, the minute you want oil from someone's land, you're back to pushing them off with tanks. Mm-hmm. It and it just nothing has changed fundamentally. Yep. Yeah. No. It, it, yeah. <laughs> nothing has changed, no. and nothing will change at this rate. You know, another great thing to do would be to be like, well, maybe you have to be indigenous to be prime minister. Yeah. You know, <laughs> maybe maybe we're just gonna decide. Okay. Yeah. New <laughs> new requirement for <laughs> running for PM. Yeah. You uh, have to would, be indigenous. That would be. You know, reasonable. Can you um, imagine how pissed people would be, though? Oh, people would be so pissed because white people like their power yep. and think they're entitled to it. Yep. Um, we sure do. And, yeah, and I mean, I think the other thing, I think the other thing that it's important for us as white people to, like, really be faced with is, like, thinking about the fact that, like, if society were to radically change um to like you know put power back into the hands of indigenous people like yeah our lives would get less cushy our lives would get harder Mm -hmm. and like because like that's something that like we have to face on like a country scale but i think also on an individual scale and like really think about that and like recognize that that is like what should happen um and that's hard but it it's is. important. One of the things I was thinking about today, because um, we talk about reparations, and mm-hmm. it's tricky because at this point, you know, 400 years on, 500 years on, 400 years on, 500 years on. I think, yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway, the imperialists are like, we we can't just all leave. Like, mm-hmm. this is something I've I've wrestled with. I've been like, should yeah. I move out of North America? Is that my role? Like, <laughs> Absolutely, um, yeah. And realistically, I mean, there's just, everybody is so, like, the change has happened. Mm-hmm. The change has happened, and realistically, we don't have anywhere for these millions of people to go. So, like, <laughs> mm-hmm. that's not really an option at this point. Um I don't know. Maybe it is. Mm-hmm. Send me an email if you've got a solution to that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but I think about reparations, about financial reparations, and I think mm-hmm. about territorial reparations, mm-hmm. not just financial reparations. Yeah. I um, One of my friends who is a, a, an ordained minister in the United Church sent me an article because I was asking her a while ago before mm-hmm. she was an ordained minister in the church, just like I was thinking about joining a church and mm-hmm. I was – like, well, one of the big hang-ups I have to joining one of these old churches in Canada is the role played in residential schools, mm-hmm. and I want to know what you're doing mm-hmm. about that <laughs> um, before I make any commitments to anybody. And in the end, I just didn't. Like, I ended up, like, officially joining a church, but then I immediately stopped going, so. And so she sent me an article recently that was that the United Church was donating back one of their churches that was closing. Mm-hmm. Um to because I, I like asked her about that. I was mm-hmm. like, you know, why aren't yeah. we just giving like a really logical reparation seems to be all of the church buildings that were built during that period and the property they're on 
give them mm-hmm. back yeah. <laughs> um, and just figure your shit out. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and you know, that's not happening because they like having their buildings. So she sent me that. So I do think about that in terms of is the government earmarking territory yeah. to give back? Is the government listening to the people who say, please, uh, really, not please, fucking don't build a pipeline across our territory? Mm-hmm. Um you know, there should be veto power in terms of, of industrial expansion. There should be veto power there. Uh, but that's not happening systematically. Mm-hmm. We have seen that. That's very okay. clearly not happening systematically. Wow, it just took me 15 minutes to get to this point. I'm so sorry. Individual reparations. Mm-hmm. Just because things aren't happening, just because reparations aren't happening on a uh, governmental level, Mm-hmm. on an institutional level doesn't mean they can't be happening on an individual level mm-hmm. and imagine if everybody who you know feasibly could matched their tax payments to mm-hmm. the the people who have the rights to, the heritage rights to their land mm-hmm. you know imagine if yeah. if every year when i have to pay this much to canada i also paid this much to the mohawk na- nation yeah. um or, or as much as you can. And I think mm-hmm. that's a really simple, concrete way to do that. Yeah. And I'm actually going to put in a plug here because there exist in some places systems to do this. Oh, great. Um, there's so in, um, in like the greater Montreal area, there exists, there's two sort of um, nested structures and I can, we can like figure out how to put links to this in the show notes. And I think that these sorts of things exist in other like major metropolitan places as well um but in the montreal area there's a facebook group um where basically um like indigenous people who need financial like immediately financial need for things can post and then there are like sellers in the group who can donate money if they can um and then there's also a sort of system organized through this same group um where you can as as a colonizer be like i have x amount of money that i can give a month and you are basically matched with somebody who you send an e-transfer to every month and there's like people who email you to make sure you do it and all that that's great so that is a system that exists and i super encourage you to even like whatever amount you can to to do that thing so i will put the links to to the ones in this area another Um, um that's great Another really mm-hmm. great uh, way that I've found to do it is to follow Native Twitter. Um, yes. There's a lot of, of good people uh, tweeting, and often some of the bigger Native Twitter accounts will retweet people who are in need um, mm-hmm. or, you know, artists to support to make sure that you're not buying, you know, instead of yes. buying knockoff Indigenous art, find an actual Indigenous artist to buy from, mm-hmm. um, that sort of thing. So that's another another good way to do it. Yeah, we can. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can give the links for the show notes, and I will yeah. try to remember to do a Twitter roundup from our from our Twitter account. Yeah, and I, I will help you remember that yeah. as well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, because um, that is, I think, for myself. Because a few years ago, I really didn't have a lot of awareness of indigenous mm-hmm. issues. I had taken a class in school, so I had some, yeah. but but not a whole lot. And it was like. One of the things that happens in Quebec sometimes is that you get taught indigenous uh, issues from the perspective of the French and the indigenous people got along just fine. And then the English came and fucked everything up because that's what happened in Quebec. True that the English came and fucked everything up. Not true 
that the French were just always perfectly nice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and that was very much the angle of the mm-hmm. class that I took, which was annoying okay. because it was a course that was usually taught by Greg Brass, who is like a very good indigenous professor at McGill. And I happened to take it the year he was on sabbatical, and his replacement was just not the same. <laughs> but following people on Twitter is mm-hmm. a really, really good way to educate yourself if you are um, unsure about things or not unsure about things, but you just want to know more because it's really easy when you are a settler in Canada to live without ever seeing these issues. Mm-hmm. Um, so I do that with, you know, do it with native Twitter, do it with trans Twitter, do it with any any kind of pocket um, that you don't know a lot about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, like, just, like, a general, I think, really good, like, small tool to be a better person yeah. is, like, whatever social media platform you're on, but, like, Twitter is very good for this, is, like, intentionally, like, think about the community whose voices you are not exposed to and don't listen to, and, like, intentionally, like, follow mm-hmm. 10 people from that community. Mm-hmm. Like, m- more than 10 if you can, but, like... Start with 10 and you will start find with- that you have so many more. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, and, like, I mean ask us we probably have some good recommendations for at I least definitely some do. Yeah. yeah i have i have great disability twitter recommendations and like some good indigenous twitter recommendations and like trans twitter recommendations yeah yeah um it's really easy people talk mm-hmm. a lot about social media as a destructive thing and it really doesn't have to be the thing is t- twitter and social media are tools mm-hmm. and you have to figure out how to use them to do the most good. Mm-hmm. But they really can do a lot of good. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. I yeah. would encourage you to do that. I would encourage you to buy The Mare of Thieves from yeah. um, Sharia Damalan to buy her, her new book. To find other indigenous authors and artists mm-hmm. and, and seek them out. And mm-hmm. if you're a teacher... Lobby real, real, real hard to get this book on the curriculum. I yeah. know teachers have been doing that already. Um, continue. Continue to do that because it is so important. This is way more important than fucking Lord of the Flies. That's okay? what I was thinking. I was like, Lord of the Flies is what I read in grade 10. Like, throw that out and replace it with this. Replace Holden Caulfield. Also, also replace Catcher in the Rye with this. Uh. Um, so I actually, we've just been pissed off rambling yeah. about important things. But we should talk a little bit more about the book, really, specifically. I was actually oh. going to say, um, <laughs> thoughts about teaching kids about this shit. Because mm. I am trying to teach my kid, you know, that we're white. Yeah. <laughs> that, 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 that is like a thing. <laughs> and mm-hmm. um, I, I'm just remembering Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving was really interesting this year. Mm-hmm. We had a little Thanksgiving dinner because we're in Canada. So Thanksgiving was in early October. Yeah. And... Um, <laughs> happened to have three or four people at the table who were recent immigrants and Mm -hmm. had never had a Canadian Thanksgiving, knew very little about the Mm -hmm. history and reasoning of Thanksgiving. And then I had my kid who's almost six and is kind of just old enough this year to be like, Mm -hmm. but what is this about? And was asking questions. And so I sort of had a lot of people who didn't know things about Thanksgiving. And when my kid first asked me about Thanksgiving, Mm -hmm. I was just kind of like, uh, uh, how do I put this? How do I say this? What do I say? Mm-hmm. And what I ended up saying was, you know, when 
our ancestors, when the white people who mm-hmm. came to Canada as my child on um, on my side, I am a hundred percent Canadian immigrant. Mm-hmm. But on on um, her other side, there's a lot of white English settlers mm-hmm. <laughs> in Canada. When we came here, we didn't we didn't really have any right being here, but we just kind of ran over here and we didn't know what to eat and like didn't know mm-hmm. how to survive. And the people who lived here helped us, mm-hmm. even though they didn't have to, and even though we ended up treating them really badly. Mm-hmm. And so we, you know, celebrate that generosity. And um, mm-hmm. but it just felt a little weak. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it felt a little weak. And and maybe that's because I'm telling a five year old. Yeah. But it's you know, especially when I don't necessarily trust the school system mm-hmm. to be teaching this. Yeah, I think like, so I actually have had, I have done a little bit of this. Um, So I used to, um, for a few years, um, create some summer camp curricula. Mm -hmm. um, And uh, within within the, well, the Presbyterian Church, actually. um, And um, and we, we did a little bit of sort of education around Indigenous people and, um, Kind of like it was, it was like an activism focused curriculum. Um, and so I'm trying to remember, I think, and I will find this and again, put this in the links. There is, um, there is like a website from an organization that I used that I don't remember the name of currently, but I will find it. Um, that has a lot of, and I, I believe that this organization is like run primarily by indigenous people that has a, a lot of really good sort of age specific resources for teaching kids about, um, like teaching kids about this stuff in an age appropriate but honest way. Okay. Um yeah, I want and that. And so they have like different um different sort of like units and different focuses for for different ages of kids and that kind of thing. Um so I think there were some ones for older kids that s- focused on residential schools. Um, but the one, the one that I, that we used, um, cause we were looking more at like younger kids, like four to 10, but like on the like heavy on the like four to seven range. So, um, it focused on, um, Shannon's dream, which is, I'll give a real, real quick lowdown of this. So it's, um, this is sort of a, a movement, a project that's, it's focused around sort of very current contemporary, um, like issues which is basically that um like schools especially on remote um indigenous reserves are just so badly underfunded um and just in sort of like completely deplorable conditions um and the government just does nothing about it and um so this 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 sort of this lesson plan focuses on uh, the story of one specific girl who kind of campaigned for her school um, on a national level, and and actually because she made enough of a fuss, was actually able to get funding her for her school. But it um, it sort of it taught it introduces kids to that issue that um, you know indigenous kids on reserves do not get to have the kind of schools that you do, and that's not fair. And what can we do about it? Mm-hmm. Um, so there are definitely, like, I think there are ways and there are resources to sort of, like, introduce kids in age-appropriate ways. So I think, I think the, like, the, that lesson for young kids is good because it, 
like it's maybe saving the like real talk about genocide for when they're a little bit older, but it um <laughs> it less than five year old. <laughs> it gets kids thinking early about inequality and like inequality that's like I mean this is such like that's it's like not bad enough that they can't handle it, but like in in an age appropriate way. And I think it is really important that we do things like that young because like the younger kids are, I think the more like the more just like straight up outraged they'll get. Um, and I think that we need to start introducing these kids, like introducing settler kids to this really young because we will then raise a generation who grows up outraged. Yeah. And if we raise a generation of settler kids who grow up outraged, then maybe things will change. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> Yeah, I had um, an experience. I, re- I read a book which was uh, recommended by Seth Day of the Rad okay. Child podcast, which I, I really recommend. Mm-hmm. That's another one on our network. And if you're interested in talking to children about tough things, Rad Child uh, podcast, Seth collects guests for each episode who are, you know, actually <laughs> qualified to speak on each topic. Mm-hmm. Um and he gave this book that does talk about it's it's more about gender and sexuality it doesn't really talk about uh, race at all it doesn't talk about race at all um but it has a good breakdown of what privilege means really good breakdown of what privilege mm-hmm. means and i had this really fun moment the other day when i was i can't even remember what we were talking about we were talking about i think the the wage gap and she went Oh, yeah, I know about that because there was the picture where they're like, this person had three money and this person had one money and they were doing the same thing. And I was like, yeah, okay, cool. So mm-hmm. that's another good one. Uh, but it's not about yeah. it's not about race. It's not about um, colonialism. It's just an mm-hmm. introduction to privilege. Because little kids understand that, right? Little kids, it's always, it's not fair. Yeah. Sometimes it's not fair. It's just woefully <laughs> misapplied. Like... You never let me do anything fun because I watched TV and I had dessert and I did this fun <laughs> thing. But now you're saying I have to go to bed. It's happening a lot lately. Mm-hmm. Um, but little kids have this innate sense of justice. Yeah, they have this sense yeah. of justice that is not yet filtered through white entitlement. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so, yeah, I think it's really important. Like, I, yeah, I like that we're going in this place of how do we teach kids because I think we need to like we're not gonna we're not gonna tell this story mm-hmm. to five-year-olds mm-hmm. yeah, but yeah, we need to start telling them the stories that they can handle yeah. when they're when they're four when they're five um and then when they're 15 we need to give them this book and yeah yeah i think even 13 yeah i think you could read this one pretty young well there's some it's- so in terms of tra- trigger warnings, obviously there's mm-hmm. all the nasty things we have done to people. So there's sexual violence, there's violence, you know, regular violence, there's hunger, <laughs> there's disease, there's mm-hmm. bad things happening to children. Um, there's there's all of the trigger warnings mm-hmm. on this. Yeah. But like, but read it, just read it. Like, unless it's really, like, obviously take care of yourself and don't read it yeah. if it's going to like put you in harm's way, but like mm-hmm. read it. Yeah. I mean, especially... Like, if it's just going to make you uncomfortable for 24 hours, read it anyway. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. It's it's very important. Um, yeah. And, I mean, the other... The other thing that this is just that Sherry Demeline is masterful, I think, is, um, like, this book, this book is going to make you feel real bad if you are a settler. And that's important. Yeah. Um, 
But this book does the same thing that we we talk about so often on this podcast is this book does right to hope. Yeah. And oh, we're not. But usually you need to read it because it ends so beautifully, yeah. and you need and to unexpectedly, and unexpectedly, so unexpectedly, and it makes yeah. you feel so bad, and then it makes you feel so good. Yeah, and and it really ends beautifully. And um, there's this just this like fun surprise in the last really like last quarter of the book where suddenly it's a love story and you like kind of see how it's been set up from the beginning Mm -hmm. and then there's another love story that just like pows out of nowhere and you also see how that's been set up from the beginning and Mm -hmm. you have a lot of loss but you also have a lot of a lot of gain a lot of people Mm -hmm. finding each other again yeah there's uh this is another thing i wanted to talk about there's beautiful (laughs) themes of family and not just chosen family because it's very much about chosen family but Mm. there's also themes about finding lost family yeah and that is such a powerful narrative and that is such a revolutionary narrative that is a strong narrative in the face of a government that has been separating children from their parents for generations Mm -hmm. this is a book that says fuck you we'll still find each other yeah and that is so good Mm -hmm. yeah yeah it's about i mean it's about like the incredible resilience of community and love and family And tradition and, yeah. Language, which we didn't even get into, but, like, language. Mm-hmm. Um, um, the power that is in your ancestral tongue. Mm-hmm. The power that is in finding your heritage. And, and yeah. you know, they, they recognize each other by speaking mm-hmm. in, in their mother tongues. And mm-hmm. um, it's beautiful. Yeah. yeah. It's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, it's such a good book and such an important book. Yeah. Yeah, that's why we're not telling you what happens, because you have to read it. Read it, and also, like, get pissed off. Yeah. And and think real hard about how you ended up where you are. Mm-hmm. Think real hard about how you ended up living on the piece of land you're living on. Yeah. And, and the things that you don't see. And be uncomfortable, and, like, let that discomfort cause you to act. Yeah. Because um, that's, like, that is what we have to do. That is our responsibility, um, is to feel the discomfort and then do something about it. Um, and there's something that, and, and, and not do the something of like lip service and trying to make ourselves feel better, but like do something about the injustice. Yeah. Get real mad. Get real mad. Thank you for listening to Yeah. <laughs> if you want to leave feedback, suggest a book for us to read, or just say hi, you can always send us an email at theapodcast uh, at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter at YaPodcast and individually at Tefferbear and at the Balesosaurus. Keep an eye out uh, on our Twitter because we're going to be sharing some resources um, mm-hmm. this week. If you like the show and want to help us make it even better, please consider supporting us on Patreon. You can get all kinds of great perks, including early access to bonus content, shoutouts, guest appearances, and more. Head to patreon.com slash YaPodcast to donate and to find out more about our perks. Shout out to our patrons, Catherine Rash, Erica Stuchberry, Kat McGuire, Lizzie Tenho, Chantal Thomas, and Matt Dever. We love you guys. We have merch. Hit the merch link in the description of this episode to get some from the fine folks over at Public. You can also support us for free by leaving a rating and review on Stitcher or Apple Podcasts, and by sharing this episode with a friend. Special thanks to Great Bear for letting us use their song Jenny's Groove as our theme music. 
You can find their music for sale at greatbearmusic.bandcamp.com. This episode was produced by me, Tefra Jemian, and edited by Tom Zalatnai as part of the Upford Network. You can find out about all the great shows on our network at upfordnetwork.com. Hi there. I'm Nick Hughes. And I'm James Hughes. And we're political. We host Canada's Young Leaders, a show on the Upford Network. For our second season, we are looking at this year's federal election and talking to young candidates from each of the major political parties about their views for Canada's future. So for insight into the debates being held at the highest level of our country, tune in to Canada's Young Leaders every Monday on the Upper Network. We need to record a new ad for Up for Discussion. What should we tell people? Tell them we're an emotionally honest comedy podcast. Great! What does that mean? It means we're not afraid to get vulnerable, explore the human side of comedy, and try to become better people along the way. And we make poop jokes. So many poop jokes. With tons of awesome guests like Hank Green, Carrie Poppy, and Cecil Baldwin. Yeah, and poop jokes. The Up for Discussion podcast, available on the Upford Network and wherever fine podcasts are sold. Yeah.